I invite you to come with me now to the book of Hebrews, the fourth chapter. We continue our exposition of Hebrews today. Hebrews chapter 4. Our focus this morning on verses 12 and 13. Hebrews 4, verses 12 and 13. For the word of the Lord, or the word of God, is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. This is the word of our God. Let's pray. And now our Father, as we have already prayed, as we have already worshipped, we now stop in this moment to once again ask that you help us worship as we hear this, your word. That our worship would be, yes, in joy and in reverence, and also then in obedience. May we rightly see this. So our prayer is, Father, by your Spirit, help us. Let this be more than the word of man. But as your word is read and now preached, may it come to us as the very word of God. For this is our prayer in Christ. I dare say if I were to ask some of you this morning to, as Christians to talk about the text or the scripture the Lord may well have used to bring you to saving faith, that we could fill this service and probably several more as you give an account of how the Lord brought his word in power into your own life. The word of God the author tells us, is living, active, sharp, piercing. A powerful thing. That word of God in my own life, even though I was reading a paraphrase, the so-called living Bible, was enough for the Lord to capture my attention as I read, of all things, the book of Revelation as a 15-year-old. Probably for that, well, I'm certain, first time in my life, I read Revelation and was stunned by what I read, more than a little puzzled and confused. But the texts that gripped me were much like what we did in our response of reading this morning. The greatness and the glory of the Son of God. That same word through a then new translation, the New International Version, there was only a New Testament of it that came out somewhere around 1974. And it opened my eyes to the realities, the extraordinary realities of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. I didn't grasp all that I was reading. I just was recognizing I have totally misapprehended what this whole Christian thing was about. 
You know, it's amazing what conversion does for you when it comes to looking at the issues that are spiritual and the things that actually matter. Our own confession of faith, what we say we believe is this. We believe the Bible, the Old and New Testament, is the written Word of God, verbally and plenarily inspired, inerrant and infallible in the original manuscripts. The authority of Scripture and its sufficiency extends to the entire Bible and reveals the principles by which God will execute judgment. The Scriptures are God's truth and are totally sufficient and trustworthy in all matters of faith and practice. They are the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and opinions should be tried for all time. Now several of you asked why I didn't do verses 12 and 13 when I did verses 1 through 11 last week. And yes, we could have done that, but the sermon would have doubled in length. My brother points out this long section that actually goes back to chapter 3, verse 1, extends through chapter 4, verse 11, is then concluded by what he describes as a masterly literary piece that affirms the power of God's Word and the impossibility of hiding from His judgment. You see, my friends, as we see the author calling on these people not to abandon Christianity, not to revert back to the Judaism that they had been in prior to this, but to see Christ as the fulfillment and to rest in Him. <coughs> as He called, <coughs> excuse me, calls them to this rest, He reminds them that it is God who has spoken. And this Word of God may not be ignored except to your own detriment and peril. In our own time, it appears as I look about that far too many think of God's acts, His deeds, as somehow being separated from His Word. Far too often there is the temptation to think of the Scriptures as merely a book, that somehow there's a greater way to know God and hear from God. But what the author of Hebrews is declaring unapologetically and without any quibbling on this matter, the Lord speaks and acts through His Word. He speaks and He acts through His Word. So follow me here as we go through the text. First, that this Word is living, for the Word of God is living. In a bit, He's going to make a comparison of it also as a weapon, a sword, now remember, the writer has already referred just a few verses earlier to Moses' successor Joshua. You remember this part of the story. Israel comes to the land of promise, having seen God rain down ten plagues on Egypt, having seen the Lord split the sea wide open, bring them through on dry land, and crush Pharaoh's army. 
they had pushed back on that leadership. Twice thinking of the Lord and accusing God and Moses of dragging them out into the desert to kill them. They get to the land and they decide rather than believing in the God that just broke the superpower of the age, Egypt, that he was going to have a problem helping them conquer Canaan. They failed to believe. Find themselves cast into the wilderness for 40 more years, still have not learned their lesson. They did not mingle faith with what they heard. They go into the land as Joshua takes them into the land, and there was still no rest. For they had not embraced fully in believing what God told them. When I read this, and I think about the living Word of God, how God connects these things, if you read the story of Joshua and the fall of Jericho, the strangest military campaign ever written. The weirdest siege of a city in ancient times. The entirety of the people of Israel in silence, marching around the city, going back to camp. Marching around the city, going back to camp. Day after day after day, we get to the seventh day, and this time they march around seven times and when they stop the trumpets sound a shout <laughs> and the walls of Jericho come falling down peculiar is it not supernatural intervention we would affirm but you remember a little incident just before this Joshua 5, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no. No, this was an alternative. You on our side, you on their side. No. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said, What does my Lord say to his servant? And that image, I love this. He, he said, I didn't come to take sides. I came to take over. I'm the Lord. Right? And the Lord basically grants Jericho by nothing other than his word. This is what I will do. This word is living. It is not some dead letter. Though you may read books which move you and have certain intellectual, emotional, and moral power, this book is actually living. It is living because it is the word of God Almighty. God has spoken. 
He has not left us wondering what he thinks. He has not left us wondering how the world works. He has not left us wondering about how to have a relationship with him. God has spoken, and his speaking, his word, is his action. Living word. Lig Duncan says this so well. The word's not just a beautiful book that was written hundreds of years ago by some guy who's dead and gone and really didn't know anything about you or about me or about our culture, nor is this word even written by someone who lived hundreds of years ago and was incredibly perceptive about how the world would be today. This word was written by a person who is still living, and he has excuse me, he has invested this word with a dynamic quality about it so that this word is not simply the divine command of God, but is the personal word of the Holy Spirit to every one of us. It is not just propositional. That is, it's not just made up of divinely inspired sentences. It is that. But not only that, it, it's personal. It is both given to us in word and phrases and sentences, but it's also the word of a person who still lives to us. It is as if God himself were speaking into our ears his view of us and of the truth. It is not a dead word spoken by irrelevant dead men from the past. It's a living oracle. It is a living oracle. This word creates. Hebrews 11.3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. God creates not only ex nihilo, that is out of nothing. God creates by what theologians call the divine fiat. That is, what God wills happens. And he does his will by his word. He speaks, it happens. You and I don't possess that kind of power. Now some of us have extraordinary views of how good we'll be as parents before we actually have children. There is nothing like actually having children to let you know how poor you are doing this. Now, our children understood what was expected of them for the most part. I don't think they would testify contrary to that. <laughs> then again, what do I know? Uh, and usually they knew, I think, that if I said something, I was good on my word. This is how things would be. But we have to make peace with something. Our word is not living in the way that the word of God is living. He creates. Further, he sustains. You go back to chapter 1 of Hebrews, verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. I love that phrase. He upholds the universe. By the word of his power. How does this whole thing keep from falling apart? How is it that it actually exists and doesn't spin completely out of control? He sustains it. Sounds very similar to what Paul says in Colossians 1. 
He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things. Ah, now the phrase. And in him all things hold together. The Word creates, sustains, the Word regenerates. Paul will say in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Peter will say the same thing. 1 Peter 1, 23, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. Now, why do I keep hammering this matter of the Word of God being living? Because in our time, there are those who want to make some kind of a distinction, if you will, between Word and Spirit. And the accusation is, those of us who emphasize the written Word of God are somehow missing the work of the Spirit of God. But my friends, the distinction between Word and Spirit so prevalent in much of contemporary Christianity finds absolutely no support in this passage or indeed elsewhere. God's Word is His action. God's Word is living. When you read this Word, it is more than words on a page. God takes the words, He comes through your mind, it comes to you in propositions, it comes to you in stories, it comes to you in exhortations, it comes to you in imperative commands, it comes to you in words of comfort, but it's not just the bare Word of God coming to your mind, it is the living Word of God that then enlightens the mind, purifies the life, changes the heart, convicts of sin, comforts in the face of failure, and helps us abide and grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hmm. And I, preacher, you sure about that? I don't know. Is the word of Jesus enough for you? Hey? Is his own apostle, Peter, John 6, I love John 6, one of my favorite parts of the entire Scripture. And as you're reading there in John 6, Jesus, Jesus ticked some people off. Just flat offended them without any apology at all. He gets to the other side of the lake and they come looking for him and he just fed them the day before the meeting of the 5,000. And I always picture them, they're running up and trying to look casual. <sighs> so, hey, Jesus, <clears throat> when, when did you get here? <laughs> I see the Lord said, you didn't even come to see a miracle. Of all things, you're here to get a meal. How about your work for the bread that never perishes. Well, they get upset, as we are wont to do, and start having an argument. And so Jesus says, well, here's bottom line. All the Father gives me will come to me. He that comes to me, I'll never cast out. 
What? Well, I don't know if we like that. Well, how about this? Tell you what, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood or you will die in your sins. Well, that's just downright offensive. I'm sorry, does that bother you? How about this? What say I just go back to heaven and let you die in your sins? How's that suit you? And the text says, from that time, many left him. Didn't follow him anymore. Friends, don't hedge the truth. It's one thing to apologize when you've been a jerk. It's another thing to hedge on the very word of God. So Jesus looks at his disciples and said, you guys going too? I know I'm paraphrasing, but this is close, right? Simon Peter, my patron saint, if I were a Catholic. Um, Simon Peter, Lord, that's going to be King James, because that's how I memorized it. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. This word of God is living. Secondly, and there's overlap here, I get it, this word is active, for the Lord of, word of God is active. Martin Luther believed in the power of the word of God. I, I love this so much. Luther, when asked about how all the Reformation took place and his role in it, here was my, Brother Martin's response. I simply taught, preached, wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And when... While I slept or drank Wittenberg beer with my Philip and my Amsdorf, those were friends of his, the word so greatly weakened the papacy, the Catholic Church, that never a prince or emperor inflicted much damage, as much damage upon it. I did nothing. The word did it all. This living word is penetrating, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Now, please don't get caught up in what he means by dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. He, he's trying to say the word splits what you and I can't. The word can divide what you and I can't. That is the nature of its piercing power. What man cannot divide, God's word can this is the penetrating power. In fact, here's the reality, my friend. This word penetrates lives and hearts whether you want it to or not. Well, I don't think I like that. My friend, the only hope of you ever being saved is God overcoming your recalcitrance and your rebellion. He has to do that. Well, no, I decided to let him do that. Why do you think you decided to let him do that? Well, I'm... I'm more spiritual. Really? So when we sing, it should be all praise to you? Hmm? I know I've shared this story, but you see, my friend, when God wills it, his word pierces anyone. Whitfield, the great 18th century evangelist, was hounded by a group of detractors who called themselves, now this is fun, right, the Hellfire Club. And they followed him everywhere he preached. 
They derided his preaching. They mocked him. And on one occasion, one of them, a man named Thorpe, was mimicking Whitfield to his cronies, delivering his sermon with brilliant accuracy, perfectly imitating his tone and facial expression when he himself was converted on the spot. Mr. Thorpe went on to become a prominent Christian leader in the city of Bristol in England. Another story I've read, and I don't know the specifics, but a very liberal, unbelieving minister was preaching. And in the middle of his sermon, things he did not believe, as he's preaching, he is converted. And one of his members out there, well, everybody could see something had happened, and one of them said, the parson's been saved. Y'all don't do that in the middle of an Anglican service, by the way, in England. The whole service just shut down after that. But their pastor, who didn't know Jesus, was converted under his own preaching because of the action, the penetrating power of the Word of God. The two edges of the sword, I think, likely represent the saving and judging power of God's Word. The Word of God can pierce you to your salvation or it can crush you to your judgment and ruination. It's a judging Word. It discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Scripture performs this sifting function. Scripture comes in and tests us both the intellectual and emotional level. Lost people often object to the Bible, not because they really, you know, it's not that they're struggling over who inspired it. Honestly, they, they hate it because it confronts them. This discerning of thoughts and intentions. And folks, doesn't this do this as, as Christians too, right? You ever gone along and you think you're doing pretty well, you're feeling pretty good about your Christian life and compared to those other people down there at church, you know what? I'm doing all right. And you read your Bible <laughs> and you read something that's like, uh-oh. Oh, no. The Spirit of God convicts you and suddenly you find yourself reduced to tears as you realize your sin, your arrogance, your failure. This word is active. It's not just living and active. Here's the final part. This word is also exposing. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The writer makes a transition, but it's a fascinating one to me. He does so without making any real difference between the word of God and God himself. He doesn't see these as separate issues. What God says is God's word. It is his action. And you must not try to distinguish between God and his word. This penetrating power of God's word renders every creature totally exposed and defenseless in the presence of the God to whom we must all render an account of our lives. Here's a lesson, my friend. What God's word is, he is. If you think you would be more inclined to listen if God himself spoke to you, you are deceived. God has spoken to you. Right now, God speaks. 
You are this day sitting face to face with God. Not me. I'm the messenger. God has spoken. This is his word. It pierces. It's living. It's active. It exposes. That phrase in the text, naked and exposed, fascinating word in the original language. It was used of a wrestler seizing his opponent by the throat. It was used of skinning an animal. It was used when a criminal was taken to his execution. It was used to describe this practice. They would place a dagger under his neck, under his chin, so that he could not hide his face. He had to look up so everybody could see him, and he had to face what he had done. My friend, when the Word of God comes, it strips us of all disguise and pretense and protection. We are utterly at the mercy of God, the judge of all. Please hear this. No creature is hidden from his sight. All are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. That, my friend, happens now in these moments through this very word of God. God exposes us. Some of you are uncomfortable today because God has exposed you. And you feel uncomfortable. You think everybody notices. No, my friend, they're too busy noticing their own right now. But that does not make this less real. Here, A.W. Tozer, the knowledge of the holy. God knows instantly and effortlessly, effortlessly, all matter and matters, all mind and every mind, all spirits and all spirit, all being and every being, all creaturehood and all creatures, every plurality and all pluralities, all law and every law. All real actions, all causes, all thoughts, all mysteries, all enigmas, all feelings, all desires, every unuttered secret, all thrones and dominions, all personalities, all things visible and invisible in heaven and in earth, motion, space, time, life, death, good, evil, heaven, and hell. He knows all of it. And this God who knows all, including you. And every single thing about you has spoken to you. Now, my friend, I'm saying, wait a minute, I, I don't want him to know. I, I don't want him to know. It's mortifying, it's embarrassing, it's crushing. It's shaming. Yes, he knows all. And he calls you to believe in his son. To be for you the payment 
for your guilt. The righteousness you don't possess. The identity you don't have. He calls you. Don't run from this. Don't turn your back on this. I say, well, I'm not Jewish. I'm not going back into Judaism. Lose that specificity for a moment and hear me, my friend. You are confronted this day by the very God who created you, owns you, knows you, and will one day judge you. Don't for a moment think on that day you're going to be able to say, well, now, Lord, if you'd have just made it a little clearer, I'd have become a Christian. But it was kind of muddy, and that's your fault. Oy vey. Here is your only hope. In Christ. Hear this word of God. The word became flesh. Dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Filled. Full up. With grace. Truth. No man has seen God, but the only begotten of God has declared him, has made him clear. Here is your only hope, my friend. To all who believed him, to those who called on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He saves you knowing all of that about you. That ought to make you think of grace as a whole lot bigger. Than you have to this point. Is this your hope? The sword of the Lord. The very word of God. May we rest in him. Let's pray. Our Father. This is indeed. Your very word. Father, save us as believers from treating this with less respect, less attention, less reverence than we should. Further, Lord, may we quit seeking after experiences that we think somehow shall do for us what the bare word seems not to be doing. May we, in faith, Believe what you've said, that this is your word and we should hear it and obey it and believe. O Lord, may we find our rest in Christ. May we do it by trusting in this living and active, this powerful, exposing word that it is you who's talking to us and that we must hear and obey. Grant that for us, we ask now in Jesus' name. Amen.